Hey, everybody. Good morning. Yeah, so I'm thinking about that last worship song a little bit. I just want to kind of, my, as I pray my way in, is just sing that chorus. Um, and then we're going to continue this series, Let's Fall in Love with His Word. Um, so if you'll just bear with me for a second. We're just going to pray for a second, but as we do that, I'm just going to sing that song. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. So all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I've nothing else fit for a king except for a heart singing hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for the team leading us in worship this morning. Lord, I thank you for the way that that chorus invites all of us to do two things. One is recognize all we've really got to offer you is worship. And you are a king. So you are worthy of all we've got to offer you. So Lord, I pray that as I'm talking about your word today, that I do it in a way that honors you. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray you help us to have our hearts open. Holy Spirit, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are in this series uh, for four weeks. And as a reminder, if you're, if you're new, which has been really awesome, uh, I've met some people that have recently just started coming to be part of the community here. River Run, just, just glad you're here. And so let me catch you up on what we're doing this year. Um, the whole theme of this year started with our opening series, which is making the most of what we've been given. It's one of our value statements as a church community, that we recognize that God, He has a purpose for our lives. And that purpose is found in relationship with Him and growing to know Him more and becoming more like Him in order that we could then live the life as He's designed it to be lived. Um, but He's given us these incredible gifts, these means of grace would be kind of a Bible word to use, by which He equips us to do that very thing, to know Him, to become like Him, and to walk in His ways. And so we're working our way through that over the course of this year, and this series we're focusing on this gift that He's given us, this book. And in week one, or actually the first Sunday of January, um, I was talking about the Bible and that Christians, and this isn't, I'm not pointing my finger at anyone in here other than myself and just generally based on statistics, that Christians have a very complicated relationship with this book. You might say it's not just complicated, it's contradictory. That Christians make this statement that the Bible is God's word and I choose not to read it, which is Right? That's like a living contradiction to say, hey, this is the God of the universe. He has created all human beings. He's created me, and, and, and He wants to have a relationship with me. And, and He's given me this, this book by which I can know Him and, and discover His ways and become like Him and understand how He thinks. And, but I don't read it. Right? That doesn't make any sense. And, uh, and I told you before that I was a pastor for seven years um, that kind of lived that type of relationship with the Bible. So it's not pointing my fingers at anybody other than myself, but um, the stats show us that half of all the Christians in the U.S., not a River Run survey, but churches in the United States, half of the Christians in this country that say they believe that statement read the Bible less than five times a year. And that includes like reading it 
at Christmas at the table reading the, the, the nativity story. So only 10 to 20 percent of Christians read it on like what would be considered a daily basis, four or five times a week. So they're walking through these, these four-week series on the Scriptures. Let's fall in love with God's Word. We're really pressing on uh, a few of the reasons why that is the case. Now, why would I not read the Bible? And one is I don't trust it. That via the assault of some modern people, modern scholarship and, and TikTok videos uh, making a bunch of accusations against the Bible, we become confused with whether or not we trust this and is it historically accurate and all that stuff. And listen, if you weren't here last week, go over and listen to the video. Pastor Tyler is so smart and understands so much stuff. And I learned a ton from him. And he did a great job walking through the reality that this is a trustworthy document. More than any, more than any book that we've ever read, this is a trustworthy ancient text that has been faithful through the years. Amen. And there's two other reasons, though. Another reason why I won't read the Bible is that I don't think I need it. So one is I don't trust it. Second, I don't need it. And third is, I don't get it. I don't get it. So the next two weeks, I'm going to be talking about uh, two of the main reasons why we would say, I don't get it, and so not read our Bible, not engage with the Scriptures. But this week, we're aiming at this point, I don't need it. Now, if I were to say to you, raise your hand if you don't think you need the Bible at church, none of y'all would raise your hand, right? No way. But if I said, all right, demonstrate to me over the last three months of your life that you actually need the Bible— Demonstrate to me that your life is marked and defined in such a way that says, I desperately need this. Right? And I'll be honest, there's a lot of times you could ask me that, and I would say, oh, I love it, but if you tested me the last few months, you might not see that evidence. There wouldn't be enough evidence to convict me of being someone who relies upon the Bible. And so the way we're going to think about this today is going to anchor in one passage about the Scripture, but bear with me because I'm going to take the first, the next like 15 minutes or so and get us there, all right? But we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy, so you can go there in your Bibles. If you have the same exact Bible as me, that's page 1,400. <laughs> if you don't, good luck. You can check in the front table of contents, and the Scriptures will be on the screen. But I'm going to talk about the letter of 2 Timothy as a whole, all right? But the letter of 2 Timothy is set up with the, in the context of last words. And, and so I want us to think about last words. Have you, and don't answer me right now, it's too many, all right? But the power of last words. Have you ever heard the last words of someone that had influence in your life or you loved? And now we hear the last words sometimes of like celebrities or famous people. In fact, even the person of Jesus, we have his last words documented for us in the scriptures. But have you ever received someone's last words? It's a sacred experience. And in my own life, uh, just over a year ago, uh, my grandfather was passing away in Michigan. And I was able to go up there. Actually, someone from this church community helped me financially to be able to get up there before he would pass away. And I got there the day that he was passing. And I flew there and, and um, my family were, were missionaries. And my grandpa has always been worried about that. He's like, you're going to starve to death. Do not have any money or something. And, and so you know, we, we get there, and I say that for this reason. And I walked up to my grandfather, who hadn't spoken in hours at that point. And I walked up to my grandpa. I said, hey, grandpa, I'm here. And he, this man who hadn't spoken in hours looked at me and said, you can't afford this. <laughs> I mean, he, literally, 
Literally, that's, he, he mustered the strength to say that to me, right? Okay, thanks, Grandpa. Glad I came here for that exhortation. All right. You can't afford this. Hours later, as we're sitting there and kind of riding out the final hours of my grandfather's life, and my grandfather and I have very, very close relationship since I was little. Spent a lot of time with him. I get to the end, right towards the end, and kind of saying our last goodbyes, and my grandpa leaned up and looked at me and said, love, love. Now, at that point, he couldn't muster the I love you statement, but he said love. And obviously, right, that one hits a little different than the you can't afford this statement. But for the rest of my life, I'm going to remember those, those words, Right? Because a person who's, who's wise and a person who's loving doesn't waste their last words. They use them intentionally. And in, even with my grandpa saying that first statement, the reality is those last words that echo in my mind, they express to me that my grandfather, to his last breath, was concerned for me and he loved me. And in 2 Timothy, we're going to have that same kind of feeling, but in a long letter form. Paul is doing his last words to somebody he is concerned for and someone he loves. But Paul isn't facing the end of his life. It's not the last words because his health is deteriorating to the point he thinks he's going to pass. He is facing the reality his life is about to be taken from him, probably by being beheaded with the Roman sword. He's sitting in a Roman prison, reflecting on a life in ministry and a life with Jesus, and he is thinking about a young man that he cares about, that he helped to grow in the faith, that was crying the last time they were together because they'd had to separate. And he's sitting in a Roman prison cell in chains, knowing that maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe next month, but soon, just like many Christians around him, under Emperor Nero, he's going to be marched out and beheaded for his faith in Jesus Christ. And he doesn't waste his last words either. And in 2 Timothy, you're going to, we're going to focus on three major movements really quickly. The first is he's going to look in the rear view. Like is natural to do when you're assessing, hey, this is the end of my story. What do I want to pass on? You look back and you try to capture the central things you've experienced in your own story in your life that you want to pass on. So he reflects backwards. The second thing is he looks forward. But knowing that he's not going to be there, he looks forward on behalf of Timothy and all the other Christians who are going to learn from Timothy and the generations after and say, hey, this is what's coming and what Christian life looks like. And then after that, he's going to point right at the center and say, and here is something you desperately need if you're going to live that. Spoiler alert, it's the Bible. That's the series, you guys. Come on. All right. So let's join Paul as we look backwards. So Paul here, he's been a Christian for about 30 years. About 30 years he's been following Jesus. For 20 of those years, he's been a missionary, traveling around the Roman Empire, working through Galatia and Asia Minor and into Macedonia and Greece and now to Rome. And over those 20 years, he's preached in all kinds of cities, all kinds of places, and planted new church communities. He's written 13 letters that we have in the Bible, maybe other letters as well. He's poured his life out into people on behalf of the gospel. And so as he looks back, I'm going to rapid fire these verses for you. And these are just kind of snapshots around the letter. In chapter 1, verse 1, and he says, I've been sent out to tell others about the life he promised through faith in Christ. He kind of doubles down on that in verse 11 where he says, God chose me 
to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. A preacher is one who announces what God has done through Jesus for all of you. An apostle is one who's sent to go to new people and tell them the same thing. And a teacher is somebody who helps you understand it, helps me understand it. And Paul says, I was chosen by God and I was given a purpose in my life to help people know Jesus. Now, before you think, wow, Paul's really great, spoiler alert, that's exactly what we're all called to as well. It is. He goes on and he says this in verse 12 and 15. He says, I am suffering here in prison, but I'm not ashamed of it. Look at this last sentence. If you've got your Bible open, underline that. For I know the one in whom I trust. Paul says, God chose me, he called me, and he gave me a purpose to help other people move closer to God, to help them know the good news about Jesus. And guess what that's brought me? I am suffering in prison right now. But I'm not ashamed. You know why? I know the one I trust in. I know the one I trust in. Chapter 2, he continues to talk about this suffering, and he says this, Because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. So I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. You hear that? This, these two contrasts. I'm suffering but I'm not ashamed because I know the one I trust in. I know God. And I'm suffering, but it's okay because I know that the words I preach cannot be put in prison. It keeps going because it's God's words. Continues on, and here's what he says in chapter 3. He says, Timothy, you, you certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith and my patience, my love and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. Here's a quick little tiny snapshot of the backstory is on Paul's second missionary journey about 10 years or 15 years before he writes this letter. He had met a young man named, Tim named Timothy who had recently come to faith in Jesus but wanted to know Jesus and wanted to live his life for him. And Paul had invited him and Timothy traveled around with Paul. City to city, watching Paul preach, seeing Paul beaten and thrown in prison and spit at and mocked and stoned. Timothy had seen that, and Paul says, you know you've watched my life. You've seen what my life looks like, Timothy. And then he says this in chapter 4. This is part of how we know where Paul is and what is he thinking about here. He's looking back at his life, and he says this, As for me... My life has already been poured out as an offering to God. Every ounce of energy I have within me, all the life in me, all the passion, all the talent, all the resources I've got, I'm like a sponge that's completely wrung out everything it could offer at the feet of Jesus. Now, the time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. I have fought, I have finished, I have remained faithful. See, Paul, and you can read 2 Timothy and do it. Go home this afternoon, read 2 Timothy before the Super Bowl. It'll get you ready, all right? But he, he looks back at his life, and, and, and 
And as he's describing this to what he's going to call his son, Timothy. Not his biological, but his spiritual son, Timothy. And what he's telling for Timothy to pass on to everyone else, and what then the church said, hey, everyone needs to hear these words from Paul, is he looks back and he says, you know what? The Christian life is both costly and priceless. The Christian life is both costly and priceless. It's costly. How much does it cost you, Paul? Everything. Everything. My life has been poured out as an offering unto the Lord. I am suffering right now in prison. I'm in chains. You know my endurance and my suffering, Timothy, that you've seen all throughout my life, that I've laid my life down. Why would you do that, Paul? Why would you do something so costly? Well, because it's also priceless. See, because I know the one in whom I trust. I know the one I trust in. And because I know that the words I'm speaking, they aren't my words, they're God's truth. And even if you chain me and beat me and kill me, you can't chain, beat down, or kill God's truth. And Timothy, guess what? Yes, it's costly, but it's worth it. You know why? Because people can experience salvation. They can experience eternal life. They can come to know a God that they trust in. Oh, Timothy, it's worth it. And ahead of me, I know how the story ends. I will be with him again. So I'm okay. And these words Paul's saying, they aren't him like shouting into the abyss saying like, hey everyone, I want you to know this about me. It's Paul writing directly to someone named Timothy. And Timothy, you can see in verse 2, his back story a little bit. In verse 2 of chapter 1, he says, I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. Which is, uh, again, obviously close family language. It's like saying, my beloved son. Timothy's not his son, as I mentioned earlier. But that's how close of a relationship they have. Look at chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Um, he, he says this, Timothy, I thank God for you. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I remember your tears as we parted. The last time they'd been together, Paul had left Timothy to now kind of pour into other people in a city called Ephesus to take responsibility for a bunch of the Christians and to, to help them understand Jesus more and to help new people get to know Jesus and And when Paul left, Timothy was like, whoa, wait a minute. And he cried. Because in those days, if someone left you on a journey, it wasn't a two-day flight. You know, fly in there, spend a weekend, fly back. It was like, I might never, ever see you again. And Paul remembers Timothy, tears streaming down his face as Paul left. Because Timothy loves Paul. And Paul says, look, I remember you night and day. I pray for you. Because you're in my heart as well. So then he looks forward in Timothy's life and he wants to leave him with last words. Timothy, what is your life about? What does it mean to follow Jesus? He says this in verse 8. Never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. We, We say this, there's nothing better than helping people know Jesus. He says to Timothy, 
There's nothing better than helping people know Jesus. Never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. He goes on and says, with the strength God gives you, this is the part we don't like as much, be ready to suffer. Be ready to suffer right with me for the sake of the good news. It's priceless. Tell others about the Lord. It can mean eternal life for them. It means salvation. You can know the one you trust in and it's costly. It's uncomfortable. It will cost you something. Now it costs Paul in a way that it probably won't cost you and me, but it costs everything. He goes on in chapter 1 in verse 14. It says, Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, stay tuned for that, put a pin in it. We're doing a series about the Holy Spirit later this year. But carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. It says precious truth. He's talking about the same thing he said, that he's preaching the word of God that can't be chained. He says, Timothy, you have the precious truth too. What truth? This. This truth. Guard it. Guard what's been entrusted to you. In chapter 2, he says this, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So here's Paul, last words, sitting there in a prison cell, in chains, perhaps speaking this out so someone else can dictate it. We don't know exactly how he, was, how he went about writing this letter. But he's sending it to Timothy knowing, I'll probably never see you again. And planning on Timothy passing everything on to others and says, hey, let me reflect on my life. It's been costly, but it's been priceless in its value. I've spent my life being wrung out every bit of my life and resource and energy for the sake of others knowing Jesus and for the sake of knowing him myself. And Timothy, it's your turn. It's your turn. And he doesn't lighten the burden on Timothy. He says, hey, Timothy, do what I did. Tell others about Jesus. Be ready to lay your life down. Be strong in the spirit and the strength that God gives you. And endure. Be like a good soldier right alongside me. Like a good soldier. And then what, what he does here is says that you're a soldier in a time of difficulty. So what is he a soldier facing? You know, a soldier is going into a, a war zone in a way. And so he sets the context of, hey, Timothy, as you live this Christian life and you have this purpose and you have this relationship, there's two major challenges you're going to have to endure. And the first one is the inner battleground, the temptation on the inside. And the other is the outer battleground, opposition on the outside. Temptation on the inside and opposition on the outside. And here's how he describes it. The inside temptation is found at the end of chapter 2. He says, run, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Run from it. Instead, pursue or run towards Righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. He goes a little ahead. He says, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments on Facebook that only start fights. You guys heard that? You heard that? Did I say that out loud? Just kidding. Don't get involved in stupid, oh, sorry, foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach so it doesn't mean I don't disagree, but I do it for the sake of teaching and helping to understand, not to win. And be patient with difficult people. Some of y'all write that down. 
And when you go home and you say, and your, your family member says, hey, how did, what challenged you today? I said, I really feel like I'm supposed to be more patient with you. <laughs> Just say that to them, and they'll remember difficult people, all right? Well, here's what this is all inner, even though it's outside stuff, it's inner wrestling that Timothy's going to have to do. Paul knows that. Timothy, you're going to live this life, and for the rest of this life, you've got a battleground inside of you. You have youthful lust. You have desire within you to gratify your flesh. So run from those things that stir that up to feed your flesh, to get what you want. Instead, chase after the things that Jesus, that define Jesus. Righteousness and faithfulness, love and peace. And Timothy, you're going to feel tempted inside to get pulled into fights and quarrels and drama. You're going to get pulled towards it, but don't. Because that will steal from you what your life is really supposed to be about. Instead, be kind, seek to teach, and be patient. Now, that could be a whole other sermon, but we don't have time for it. There's an inner battleground, Timothy. So you have a purpose. You have a relationship. You have a war zone inside of you. And that's not it. You've got challenges outside of you. Listen to what he says in the next chapter about the outer battle. He says, you should know this, Timothy... That in the last days, there will be very difficult times. And so don't think, uh, depending on your background, the last days may mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. Here's what it meant to Paul, Timothy, during your life. All right? So in this era, with the Spirit has come, Christ has come, we're waiting on Jesus' return. During these days, there will be very difficult times. For people around you will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. Keep going. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel. They'll hate what is good. They'll betray their friends. They'll be reckless, be puffed up with pride, love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they'll reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. There's an outer battle as well. There's an outer battle. And like when we read this, some of us are going like, well, it sounds like Paul's talking about today. Yeah. And was talking about Timothy's next day. That throughout the ages since Paul's day, what the reality is that there's been a constant wrestling outside. That to follow Jesus is a challenge. Even if the whole world was all doing really good, it would still be a challenge because inside of me, I got a hot mess of garbage going on that I have to wrestle with, where I get pulled towards wrong decisions and wrong reactions and stuff. But even if it was all right in here, it's still a struggle out here because I'm in the midst of a world that the world is not all following Jesus. And the world is often marked by the exact opposite. So Paul, I mean, you can hear it. It's a challenging thing. And I don't want to sugarcoat it. Following Jesus, like really giving our lives to Him, to walk our entire lives to know Him and help others know Him, it's not an easy, like, skipping along in the daisies kind of life. It's costly, but it's priceless. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, Jesus asks for far more than you ever thought, but He offers far more than you ever imagined. Amen. So, okay, Caleb, this is supposed to be about the Bible, and you got one minute left. Well, I don't because I'm going to go five minutes over, all right? (laughs) Secondly, now let's land the plane. So Paul, last words, sitting in a Roman prison, picturing in his mind the one he loves that he knows is being called to a life 
of pouring every ounce of himself out at the feet of Jesus in a world where there's challenges and opposition and inner turmoil and all that stuff that you and I face. He says, there's something you have to have. You need it. Chapter 3, verse 14 and 17 through 17, here's what he says. Timothy, you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures, that's the Bible, from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Continue. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now, I would love to nerd out and tell you these are English words, but these are originally Greek words, and every Greek word means this, but I can't. But here's what we're going to do. So I want to tell you what Paul is saying to Timothy is, hey, in this, this priceless calling you have to know God and help others know him, to spend your life to glorify him and for the good of those around you, In this challenging call to live that out in difficult times with the chaos around you and some turmoil within you, you need the Scriptures because God uses it. So how does God use it? Well, number one, through the Bible. Through the Bible, God gives life and provides for us. He gives life and provides for us. Now that first word, inspired by God, is actually a Greek word that's theos and pneuma, God's breath or God's spirit. That somehow, in some incredible way, this is not just text. It's breath from God. And that this didn't just come because somebody, Paul wrote this letter. That even this itself was God's Spirit within Paul writing for Timothy so God's Spirit could speak to Timothy. And then through that, God's Spirit could speak to us. It's life from God. And then it says it's useful. And what that useful word means, it means profitable. You know what profit does? It gives you resources that you need. The Scriptures, God uses it to give life and provide for us. And secondly, that God directs our way of life. And you hear it in, the, in that passage. That He shows us, hey, wrong way. No. Right way. Come on, come on, come on. That the Scriptures invite us to walk in God's ways. God uses it to direct our path of life. To guard us against self-destructing. To guard us against just destroying the lives of others around us. To guide us into a life marked by His presence and His peace and by His mission. And thirdly, through the Bible, God builds and shapes us. When it said God used it to prepare and equip that word prepare can be used in a construction way to say kind of like framing in something to like to add the structure that's needed. And, and then it, it speaks of to equip, which means like kind of to finish it out. So to, to build us into who God's designed us to be and shape us according to his purposes. So I can't guarantee you the Bible will give you the life you want, but I can guarantee you God will use the Bible to give you the life he desires for you. And I promise you that if you had the fullness of the life you want and the fullness of the life God desires for you, you would pick this every single time because it'd be marked with a peace you'll never find here. It's the Bible. We, we need it. We need it. 
And Paul's last words, as I come to a close, Paul's last words really reflect the last words of another famous Bible guy, Moses. You ever heard of Moses? In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses, after writing five books, Genesis to Deuteronomy, at the end of his own life, looks at God's people, the people of Israel at that time, looks at the family of God who are called to trust them in him, in God. And Moses says this in Deuteronomy 32. Take to heart all the words of this warning I've given you today. Pass them on. That's speaking of the Bible at that time, the, the law, the Torah. Pass them on as a command to your children so they'll obey every word of these instructions. These are not empty words. They are your life. And that's really what Paul's saying. He's, these are not empty words. These are your life. We cannot live the life that we're called to in Jesus. We cannot endure the inner turmoil and the outer chaos. We cannot continue to live our lives kind of wringing ourselves out at the feet of Jesus. We cannot know him the way we're invited to know him unless we rely upon this. And it wasn't just people in the Bible who said that. You see, what Timothy said, what Paul said to Timothy just continued on from there. In the fourth century, there's a man named um, Athanasius and this is my Tyler moment where I reference somebody from history that no one's heard of. I feel great. feels good. In the fourth century, there's a man named Athanasius. Athanasius lived much like Paul. He was in a time where he was trying to help people understand the truth about Jesus, but he was hated for it. He was exiled to islands, thrown in prisons, rejected by many people. It was costly, but he said it's priceless. And listen to what he said about the Bible because he wanted the 5th century and 6th century and 7th century up to right now to know this. Here's what he said. These are fountains of salvation, that they who thirst may be satisfied with the living words they contain. These are fountains of salvation, that they who thirst may be satisfied with the living words they contain. Now we're going to come to our response time. And so here's, here's what I don't want River Run to think about the Bible. It's like, make sure you do your devotion so God's not mad at you. And I don't want you to think like, well, I got to read my Bible because I got to get through the whole thing and understand all the facts in here. No, like this is a gift from God that we would have life. That we can know Him. So much of my life in the last 15 years of my life has been radically changed because I realized I understood truth that was in here. That's true in here. And it changed everything about my life. And so as a church community, what if we as a family said, you know what, I actually, I can't live my life without this. And what if we started to rack up day after day of evidence that we are people who need this because we need the God who inspired it. So we come to our response time. Um, there's three ways to do that. And, and, and if you're new or you've been here for a little bit, it doesn't matter. Let me give you the logistics of it, all right? Three ways that we respond to God. We move towards God because He has moved towards us. And one way is through communion. And on both sides, you'll see tables with the candles there where there's the elements, to the bread and the, the juice to receive communion. And what that is is saying, God, you have moved towards me through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You have come to rescue and to save me. You have saved me. So Lord, I come to you to remember what you've done and to honor that sacrifice. And so do that today. Secondly, is, is, this is uh, some, many give online, but this is a time that we can set our hearts towards giving. That we give towards God, and we don't do that to like have a monetary exchange with God. We do that to have a heart exchange with God. God, you've moved towards me, and so God, I, I give you 
pour my life out as an offering. And here's one of the ways I do that. So you can do that. There's also baskets in the back if you want to do it in that way. Or you can do so online. And thirdly, some of the elders will be up at at the uh, crosses on both sides. And maybe something that was said today resonated with you. Something challenged you. That may be. Um, Don't miss that then. Don't run out of here saying like, oh yeah, I really felt kind of challenged at church. But you know what? By two o'clock, I kind of felt fine. So I'll just move on. Don't miss that. It may be that today God is drawing your heart to himself to know him in a way you've never known him before and the rest of your life will be different because of right now. I don't want to miss that. So let me encourage you. If you feel the Lord pulling your heart or you have a need you brought in here today, then come and pray. But all these are just means by which we say, God, you have done this for me. You've invited me to know you. And so here I am. Here I am, Lord. Um, As we do this time, we're going to move into a song that says, He Won't Fail. And I'm going to say something at the end, but let me just encourage you. As you go through this time, and as we start to sing, lean into that with your heart. Trust in a God that you know. That's what sustained Paul. That's what sustained Timothy. And that's what will sustain us. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we go to this response time, we recognize your invitation to know you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would not just go through routines right now, but every movement we make in the next few minutes would be movement of our heart towards a God who has already moved his heart towards us. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you're with us. We thank you that you chase us down and have rescued us and that we already know the end of the story, that we will be with you again. In Jesus' name, amen.